Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl champions. Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you. Let the celebration begin. Well, we're, we're on a Zoom call right now doing this podcast, and it's the same exact way we talked to Howie Roseman and Andy Weidel today. Yeah, you know, a, a few weeks ago, I didn't even know what Zoom was. Uh, today, I think I have five Zoom calls. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of crazy. Um, I wonder if we can kind of patch into um, Howie's, Howie's Zoom, maybe on draft night, maybe get some inside scoop. Yeah, I'll ask him to, to forward me the information. I'm sure he'd love to have us. Probably, probably wouldn't mind. Uh, but, yeah, it's a different world. And, yeah, we talked to Howie a little bit uh, earlier in the day. Um, he seems really confident in the whole process and that they'll be able to – I think in his words he said, uh, you know, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to draft the same way we always have. It's just that the communication's a little different. And um, I'm not sure that's possible, but I, I think they just want to keep things as close as possible to the way they, they normally function and just be over – Zoom and Microsoft Teams as opposed to sitting in the same room. Yeah, it's not as easy. Uh, we'll get into some of what Howie and Andy Weidel said on this Eagle Eye podcast. We also have Roto World on NBC Sports' Josh Norris joining us in just a little bit. Some great insight from him as always. And uh, we'll go through a little bit more about this receiver class and what Howie Roseman thought of it. But I did want to kind of start with what you were mentioning about the process for the draft, Howie says it's not really going to change. They have all their lines of communication figured out. I'm kind of with you, though. I, I think that it's just hard to expect it to go um, as normal. I, it can be smooth, but it, it doesn't mean like it, it's a normal draft night. Yeah, and I think the biggest challenge is going to be when – like it's easy to sit at 21 and pick the best player. You know, um, that's the easy part. When – when the draft is at 16 and you're starting to think about trading or you're trying to trade up, now there's moving pieces. Now you're, try, you're on the phone with different teams. There's different people making those calls. There's a lot of information coming up, you know, coming in at once and the clock is ticking. Um, I think that's when it's going to become difficult. And knowing Howie, he's always looking to trade up, trade down, get picks, deal picks, uh, make deals. He's always on the phone with other teams. So, um, you, you know, he can't just say to the guy next to him, hey, call the Bengals and see if they're interested in this. Uh, I think that's where it's going to be. You know, if, if it's just a matter of sitting at 21 and 53 and 103, that's easy. But once you start kind of trying to make changes and trade up, trade down, hear different offers, weigh things, that's when it could get tricky. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting because he was asked about that specifically. If he thinks the the structure of this draft will – kind of slow down trades and he said he does and he thinks it'll go on his plan but I thought an important part to that answer is that he said they're kind of going through the same types of pre-draft phone calls now that they normally would um, and, and that's an important part of this process it's not like 
when draft night comes, all of a sudden they're calling the Buccaneers about pick 14. A lot of the groundwork for these trades is kind of laid down earlier than that. So um, I think those pre-draft conversations are going to be more important this year. Uh, you want a situation, I'm just using this as an example, but the Buccaneers at 14, they know if the board falls a certain way, they can expect a phone call from the Eagles um, trying to get player X. And I, I think those conversations this year are even more important than in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm sure that's all going on now. And, uh, but you know, even those kind con- you know, those conversations are, I wonder if they're doing those over zoom, you know, Hey, we have, I think Howie talked about, he had a conversation with a bunch of other general managers today. Right. I think he mentioned mm-hmm. that. Um, so, uh, but whatever happens, however much planning they do and, um, you know, the technical side of it and, and Howie, I think both times we've talked to him over the last couple of weeks has mentioned, um, you know, the Eagles uh, IT guys, you know, doing a great job setting everything up. There's always the unexpected. There's always something that they haven't planned for, that they haven't, you know, prepared for. Um, and you just got to hope it doesn't cost them a player. I, you know, I, I, I don't think it will, but there, this is uncharted waters. And who knows? Uh, we, we might not find out if that's the case for a long time. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a different set of circumstances. Yeah. Um, one interesting part is that the NFL is actually having a full mock draft with all the teams just to go through and, and kind of, I guess, to get the exact process down and to make sure all the technical kinks are worked out. How much smoke screening is going to be on that mock draft? Yeah, I, I would love to. I would love to. That'd be, be, the, that'd be more fun to watch than the real draft. Probably would be. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, it'll definitely be interesting. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you really approach that. I mean, I think um, you, you kind of have fun with it. You know, maybe how he'll take a linebacker in that draft. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Might be the only like, time he does. <laughs> Other GMs will be joking that he didn't even know linebacker existed or something. Yeah, I'd love to get my hands on that draft though. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Uh, we did get a, a piece of news on Thursday morning. Um, Jason Kelsey, in, in a way only he would ever announce it, is returning for the 2020 season. We all kind of assume that, but at this point in his career, he's mentioned that he's, he's taking it year by year and, and evaluating everything. He announced it by saying he's retiring from arm wrestling, uh, which caused panic for those who aren't great at reading. And uh, um, it's good news. I mean, it's, it's not unexpected, but they'd be in a world of trouble without him next year. Yeah. He's one of those guys that you just kind of, I mean, gosh, he's been starting since opening day, 2011. So going on to his 10th year with the Eagles. And he's just one of those guys that you just kind of assume he's always going to be there. And it's kind of weird to think that there will be a day where Jason Kelsey's not playing center for the Eagles other than 2012. He missed most of the season. And then in 14, he missed a couple of games, I think with a concussion. He's played every game since, November it started every game since November of 2012. Um, all-time great Eagle, uh, three-time All-Pro, uh, possible Hall of Fame candidate down the line. Um, at some point, he's going to say enough is enough. He's got other interests. He's got a baby on the way. Very cerebral guy. Um, very aware of the physical toll that the game has taken on him. Talks about it a lot. Um, I'm glad he's still playing. Um, 
just because I, I just think the world of him as a player and what he's been able to do as a – gosh, he was the 191st player taken in the draft in 2011. So if we were doing a podcast before that draft, we wouldn't have been talking about Jason Kelsey. He ended up being one of the best players in that draft. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just really respect him and the way he goes about his business and playing hurt, uh, leadership. Uh, you know, has such a uh, great personality and style about him. Um, he's the kind of guy every Eagles fan wants to have a beer with. And he's the kind of guy that wants to have a beer with every Eagles fan <laughs> as well. So I'm glad he's coming back. Uh, I don't think he's going to play all that much longer. I mean, he's 30, maybe 33, I believe, um, during the season. And, uh, you know, so every year, you, you know, you think this, this could be his last year. Uh, so, you know, you, you just try to appreciate him while he's here. Yeah, they, so they gave him a, a three-year contract last offseason. So he's under contract for 2020 and 2021. It would be a lot of money to walk away from, but he's made a lot of money too. Um, so I don't think there's any guarantee he plays next year. I, I no, guess I he's going to kind of have to see how the year goes and, and the toll it takes on his body, but you're right. I mean, he's very aware of the – cumulative injuries in his career because he's been doing all this as an undersized lineman and and we've seen him play through some just nasty stuff I mean the MCL sprain two years ago that would have sidelined most people for a month and he didn't miss a game because of it so uh, I think he's well aware of that but at least for now the Eagles are happy to have him I guess if he didn't return this year their best bet would be moving Isaac Samalu to center and then plugging somebody else in at left guard. They drafted Samalu with the understanding that he could play center might be his better position, but um, it, it's not as good as having Kelsey back in the fold. Yeah, and Carson has such a good rapport with him, and you know the, the communication's really good there. Um, Kelsey is uh, he's going to go down as uh, you know he'll be in the Eagles Hall of Fame. Uh, I think he's made his mark on this team for selfish reasons. I'm glad he's he's going to do it for another year. But, yeah, you, you're right. I mean, he'll be 34 in 2021. He's not signed beyond that year. Um, certainly, it's it's not going to go on forever. I mean, he's not going to be one of these guys playing at 38, 39. Um, you know, Kelsey's the kind of guy that, like, he, he would come, you know, he'd get, come back from a game. He, he'd go to his locker after the game, and he'd have a – He'd have a wrap on his knee. He'd have like a ice bag on his shoulder. You know, he'd have like, you know, bandages all over his arm. He's bleeding. You're like, hey, you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just Jason Kelsey. He's a different kind of cat. And then after a year, you go, all right, what'd you go through? And he lists off this like laundry <laughs> list of injuries. Yeah. Uh, yeah, different type of guy. And I, it's good. We don't know when the Eagles found out that he was going to return. But either way, it's good for them to know heading into the draft. Yeah, well, their draft record is so good picking uh, interior linemen, as I wrote about <laughs> today. So uh, definitely uh, definitely good news for the Eagles. Um, hey, DraftKings has partnered with United Way to help those affected by COVID-19. To join the rally, take a picture of yourself in a rally cap. Post it on social media, tag three friends, and use the hashtag DKRally. DraftKings will donate $1 to United Way until they reach $1 million. Visit DraftKings.com slash DK Rally for details. That's DraftKings.com slash DK Rally for all the details. And joining us now from Roto World and NBC Sports, Josh Norris. Josh, it's good to talk to you, man. 
good to talk to anyone right now. How are y'all doing? <laughs> yeah, I bet, man. How's, uh, how's this been treating you? You figuring it out? I mean, this draft process, if we just talk about work here, is, is just wild. I mean, it's unlike any draft process we've seen in that it's the complete and total lack of information. And for a league that, you know, wants to be so certain every single decision that they make, I will be fascinated to see how, you know, this unfolds in the next two to three years just from this draft class. And, you know, a big part of that is the lack of athletic testing. You know, like half the people who attend the combine go through those athletic workouts. And I mean, I I feel for the prospects who, you know, weren't invited to the combine that were going to rely on their pro days and, and, you know, be the diamonds in the rough that could be drafted in round six, round seven, round five, undrafted for agents who then go on to make it. Um, again, I, I hope that it doesn't alter it too much, but you have to think that it will. I already want to go off script because I have a theory that I've put out here on Eagle Eye before. And I think that there are going to be lessons from this draft that teams take with them. Number one being like, obviously the tape should always be number one, but I think at certain times, like teams have deviated from that. Do you think mm-hmm. that there's going to be like a renewed sense of like, oh yeah, this is the way it should be in certain mm-hmm. aspects? No, I don't. I disagree <laughs> okay. with you. And, and that's because I, I highly value athletic testing because, you know, people often say that the eye in the sky doesn't lie. Well, it absolutely does. Like we have our biases consciously or subconsciously. And if I can take a moment and talk about like the edge rushing class, for example, like when we talk about pass rushers, athleticism absolutely matters. You know, if, if you're a superior athlete to the person playing next to you or playing in front of you, then you have an instant leg up on your competition. Meanwhile, in this class, like I was just going through the list because I I watched prospects in the same order of their position. And honestly, eight to 10 to 12 were just these same two point pass rushers that wanted to beat their offensive tackle around the edge and, you know, run the hoop and get to the quarterback. And none of them worked out at the combine. So how am I supposed to try to decipher just based on traits that I see on tape that eight to 10 to 12 Whereas, you know, if one tested in the 90th percentile and one tested in the 20th percentile, that's a pretty easy access of information that would help me um, figure out which one I liked more and which one I like less. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, you disagree with me. So that's all of our time with Josh. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I, I did want to get into uh, the receiver class. Obviously, for Eagles fans, it's a pretty big deal right now, given their situation. Um, we've heard about how deep it is, how good it is at the top. First, I mean, do you agree with that? And when you look at it from an Eagles perspective, what they like, what they need, who do you think fits best for them? Yeah, first, big picture, yeah, I absolutely do. And this is a class that has all different shapes and sizes and types. You know, you have your nuanced, detailed route runners. You have your super explosive straight line speedsters who are fantastic with the ball in their hands. You have ones that can be hybrid wide receivers and running backs. You have ones who win in contested situations. Uh, I want to ask you, Dave, and you, Rube, if if we're talking, because really wide receiver, it's split, and this is being super simplified. It's split into two different categories, outside wide receivers and, and inside wide receivers. And obviously, teams like to use both in, in different dynamics and different alignments. But Rube, like, wh- where do you think the Eagles are going to be focused on? Do you think it's going to be more of an outside, inside, or could they use both? Well, I, I think considering the fact that Justin Jefferson might be the most realistic guy for them, and he's probably more of a slot than an outside guy. They just need a playmaker. And uh, I think they would probably rather have, and the way the, the way the league is today, 
I mean, your slot can be a really big part of your offense. I mean, the slot – I mean, it used to be, that. well, he's your third receiver. We'll stick him in the slot. I mean, these days, hey, Larry Fitzgerald's going to slot his way to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Some great <laughs> slots out there. So, I think you can make as much of an impact playing inside as you can outside. Um, Volume-wise, you're going to catch more balls in a lot of cases. Uh, you just might not average – 15 a catch, you might average 12 a catch. So uh, for me, it's about getting a weapon and whether he's inside or outside is almost secondary to me. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. And with Justin Jefferson, you know, sometimes when you first start watching a player and you understand that he is a, a slot receiver, you have this expectation that he just basically does what a lot of other slot receivers can do. Like, you know, like across the league, like your Jameson Crowders or Cole Beasley's just creating the production that is afforded to him. But when you watch Jefferson, that's not the case. Like he creates plays on his own, whether it be after the catch, breaking tackles, um, picking up yards there, or these contested catches that a lot of other slot receivers just cannot do. So you have, again, a player who you can absolutely rely on in the middle of the field, but then he goes above and beyond that and, and kind of exceeds the expectation. That to me is a first round caliber player for sure. I wanted to ask you about Jefferson because there's been so much talk about him in Philly. And the big question has been, can he play inside only? Can he play outside? I guess back in 2018, a lot of his snaps came outside. Hmm. Um, what, what do you make of that? I mean, does he have the ability at times to line up outside? It would have to be a projection, at least from what I've watched. I, I can't say I've had the time, as odd as that sounds, to go back and watch you know, all these players back in 2018 as well. I can tell you he had 109 slot receptions last year, over 1,500 yards um, in the slot. So it, it, it's an area where I, I think where as an evaluator I can – you know, outline a player is figuring out where he succeeded at the college level. And if that translates to the NFL, you know, in the simplest form that really was evaluate what evaluation is and, and if they can win in the same exact way as they won in college and for Jefferson. Yes. Now, you know, if you wanted to do like a Sterling Shepard type evaluation here, right. And, and ask like, okay, he, he was great in the slot at Oklahoma. Then, you know, he's been tried on the outside in many different occasions. And it's kind of been like, not a limited football player, but not necessarily like hitting his ceiling. Um, but again, this is a type of player who, because what, of his size at six foot one, 202 pounds, you could absolutely, you know, move a, a Deshaun Jackson inside and run those slot fades and vertical routes out of the slot and then put Jefferson on the outside in a lot of alignments. But I would be surprised if he doesn't run like at least 70% of the time in the slot in the NFL. I want, I want you to uh, kind of rank the top guy. Well, first of all, do you agree that after Lamb, Judy, Ruggs, and Jefferson, there's kind of a, you know, or, or where do you put Jefferson? But yeah. assuming those four guys, um, do you kind of separate those four and everyone else? And, and how would you rank those four? So I think there's a top two. I think there's CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy, okay? Because they are certainly your type that are plug and play. They, they are the ones that create separation, sustain it, and I even think we went after the catch. Obviously, Lamb is kind of on a different tier than basically almost anyone, especially Judy, after the catch. Lamb reminds me so much of DeAndre Hopkins. Um, Judy is kind of on that, uh, on that Calvin Ridley, Stephon Diggs spectrum of, of uh, a player who, once again, relies on that separation and, and detailed nuance route running. Obviously, that spectrum is quite large because Calvin Ridley is basically a secondary receiver and a very good offense, but Stephon Diggs is a primary pass catcher. After that, I actually have Denzel Mims. I'm a huge fan of Denzel Mims. 
And this is a player who obviously coming out of Baylor, you know, it's not like your Kendall Wright, Corey Coleman, Baylor team where they basically just run three routes and that's it. But I'm not going to say he was doing what Jerry Judy was asked to do. But the more you watch Denzel Mims, the more you realize that he has, you know, those little details to his game. It's advanced. And it, it really comes in the form of using his hands, using his elbows, using his shoulders to create that little sliver, sliver of separation in his breaks at the catch point. And he's just dominant at the catch point. Now, some might point to, you know, him not being able to create separation. And that's why he has to win at the catch point. I would say that, you know, Baylor's predictable offense um, – you know, asked him and forced him to do that. And I would also say the reason why his contested catch rate might be so high is because Baylor never threw him screen passes. You can turn on college football every Saturday and see, you know, Devin DuVernay catch 42 slot receptions in a single season. Denzel Mims had one last season. So like none of his production was easy. Let's put it that way. And, and I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if his best football is ahead of him in the NFL. Do the drops bother you with Mims? Um, I think it just came out that in 2018, he had a played with a broken hand. So, uh, you know, that would impact me trying to catch a football. Uh, I, I would say I'm that, not drafting you. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say, Rube, that if a team understands that they are drafting a wide receiver that has, quote unquote, drop issues in his past, then it's really not an issue in the NFL. Because so often it becomes this issue because, you know, coaches react to a drop pass, and then boom, you found yourself on the bench. Um, I, I also think that drops, you know, it's, it's not going to be one out of every five times he's targeted, right? It's, it's these moments that we remember that are at the forefront of our brains that, you know, if a team loses the game, then, oh, we can point back to Denzel Mims' drop. But I hate when that kind of masks the entire scope and everything positive that a wide receiver does. What do you make of, I guess, the next group of guys, Jalen Rager, Chenault, um, who else? Higgins, Higgins. Those, those guys, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult group. I'm, I'm having a difficult time with someone like the Vicious Chenault because we don't have an athletic profile, right? Um, he reminds me a lot of Cordero Patterson coming out of Tennessee, and that is going to come off as a super negative. <laughs> but, you know – it's up to the individual in Patterson's case to see if he developed or not. He was a really fun player. Now with Chenault, it's all athleticism. You know, there's no creating separation in his routes. There's, there's no creativity in his routes. It's all like, okay, I'm going to get the ball in my hands and win after the catch. Um, but again, I would find that difficult to draft that type of player uh, without his athletic profile. T Higgins, on the other hand, you know, kind of relied on those contested catches, those vertical routes, it was winning 12 plus yards down the field. And then at his pro day, like he was one of the few guys who had like a legitimate pro day. He tests like a poor athlete. And so I think that's different than Denzel Mims, who obviously did great uh, by all accounts at the senior bowl. And then obviously tests at the NFL combine, like one of the top athletes in this class. If I could throw one name at you, who is like that wide receiver running back hybrid, not going to say he's Debo Samuel, but like if a team wanted to scratch that itch and, and find theirs this year, um, I would nominate Antonio Gibson out of Memphis. A lot of places, you know, list him as a running back. I don't know why, because he spent about 70% of his time at wide receiver last year and namely in the slot. He shows some like real natural wide receiver trades. You turn on that game against SMU. He's working across the formation, catching the ball off frame. Uh, these difficult grabs. And I would be fascinated to see what his development might be in two to three years. 
That's interesting. That's so- those guys ever scare you? The the guys who they have all this potential because they play multiple positions, but maybe they don't have one that's like clearly defined. I think there are different viewpoints on those guys. Hmm. I would say seven years ago, yes, like a tape on Austin. Um, But in the last two years, uh, I think the NFL loves those types. I think they get super excited about those types. Um, You know, just think about like what Tyreek Hill was coming into the NFL, right? He was a manufactured touch receiver who had tremendous speed. Henry Ruggs might not be too different than that, right? But then he gets attached to Andy Reid. You know, Depot Samuel gets attached to to Kyle Shanahan. Um, I think if you are attached to a great play caller who understands spacing and how to create separation for his receivers and then allow them to win after the catch, it's uber exciting. Now, is that going to be the case with every single team across the league? Probably not. But that's the difficulty in trying to evaluate these players for all 32 NFL teams that you just hope they attach themselves to really, really good play callers. Let's talk about the 21st pick. Uh, If the Eagles can't get the wide receiver that they covet, if they can't trade up, if they can't get out of uh, of 21 and trade down, um, and they're kind of stuck at 21, which I think is is possible because I don't think there's going to be a lot of motivation for teams – uh, to trade up to 21 just because it looks like from 21 to 35 is kind of the same value of player. So uh, unless there's somebody specific a team wants, it might be hard to get out of 21. If the Eagles do draft at 21 and don't take a wide receiver, hmm. if, if the guys they want aren't there, um, talk about some of their best options uh, best available guys at 21 who might play other positions and, and maybe fill a need for them. So if I can spin this back to you, I would just look at their roster, say that linebacker and safety are probably the two biggest needs outside of wide receiver. Would you agree with that? I mean, I, I think edge rusher is a huge need oh, for them. Interesting. Uh, okay. Just because I'm not uh, – Dave's a much bigger Derek Barnett uh, believer than I am. Um, Brandon Graham is what 30, 31, yeah. Dave, 32, um, 32. And they don't have anybody else. They have Josh sweat and, and that's it really. Right. Um, they have a lot of bodies that they can rotate in if they want to. So and Joe so Osman and guys like that. So, yeah. So, um, to me, that's, um, that's definitely an option. And I, hmm. I kind of go into this kind of thinking there's no way they're going to take a linebacker. I mean, there's a couple of good ones. Right might that, be that, there. That was going to be my point is that that just doesn't seem like that's in their MO is to prioritize that position. And it hasn't been for a long time. It seems like um, edge is difficult, right? Because you have chase young who everyone loves and they should. Um, but after that, you're going to have to pick and choose traits that you believe in. And, you know, there aren't a lot of complete players after that, like Clavon Chasen from LSU six three two fifty four reminds me actually a lot of Shaq Barrett. Um, that's easy to say now after Shaq Barrett did what he did in, in 2019. But, um, you know, he's not one of these height, weight, size guys, 32-inch arms. But, I mean, the Eagles have had luck with those types in the past, success with those types in the past. And while he's at his best, you know, winning in those first two to three steps with initial explosion – and then bending around the corner to get the quarterback, he does show a willingness to work through his offensive alignment. Um, so, yeah, I could see a team that, um, like the Eagles, going after him. And I, I would nominate someone like Yeter Gross Matos, who's coming out of Penn State, who has kind of been lost in the shuffle, it seems like, these past few weeks. 
And I understand why, like everyone just wants consistency from edge rushers, you know, them finding themselves in the backfield on every single snap. Well, you're not going to get that. And what I would say about Gross Matos is, you know, a handful of times per game, three, four, five, six, he completely disrupts the plan of the offense. He puts everything off script and, you know, the end result might not be a sack or an interception or a forced fumble, but just that ability to change the complexion of an offense a handful of times per game is not something you see that is common across the board with, especially this year, these edge rushers. Josh, I'm taking a look here on Roto World. Um, you're look by look at the divisions. And for the Eagles here, you kind of do a, an Eagles only mock draft. Yep. Um, you had Justin Jefferson and one. We spent a lot of time on him. The next two guys are very interesting names. Uh, you have Jeremy Chin, who you list as a safety linebacker, certainly um, gaining a lot of steam, it seems like. And then in the third round from Alabama, Terrell Lewis, who it seems like opinions are really split on. Um, what do you think about those two guys? Can you give us some insight on, on why you put them there? Yeah, so I've been doing team needs and mock drafts for every single team. We actually wrapped it up today. Um, and I, I try to go by tendencies and, and traits. And honestly, in other years, I try to go by top 30 visits and the interest that these teams have shown in those players. Um, the Eagles were one of the few teams that got in a few top 30 visits before this whole process was thrown off the rails. And Terrell Lewis was one of those. Um, on like that final day, he got it in. And, you know, so that kind of was an easy connection for me. Maybe they don't really have significant interest in him. Maybe they brought him in because they want to learn more about him or it was a medical check or something. But with how little information you have to go on right now, uh, someone like Terrell Lewis, who I, I think could develop into a pretty good player, 6'5", 262, um, as, along that edge is, is fascinating. And when he loops inside, things get uh, dangerous, let's say, for the quarterback, for the running back, for the offensive lineman, because he's someone you just cannot slow down with momentum. Um, if I can go to that safety, like linebacker hybrid position, one that's becoming more and more popular in the NFL, right? Teams are moving away from that quote unquote slot corner. Eagles obviously haven't because what they brought in Nickel Ruby Coleman, I believe. Yeah. Um, but, you know, big nickel, or even in this case, like a Malcolm Jenkins replacement. Like, do you think that they have that style of player on the roster right now? Because that's been a pivotal piece to who they have been defensively in their identity for quite some time. And I think Jeremy Chen, and there's a number of those types, Xavier McKinney, Jeremy Chen, the guy from Lenore Ryan, uh, I would throw out maybe even someone like um, uh, Kayvon Wallace from, from Clemson. Like there's a number of those players in the first round to second round to third round to fourth round that have played all those different alignments in college. And it wouldn't be a surprise for them to play that in the NFL as well. Uh, all the guys we're talking about, Probably a third of them will be busts. I mean, that's just the way it is. If not two-thirds. Uh, maybe maybe more. Um, give me a guy in this draft who you think is going to probably yeah, go in the second round, third round, but could be a star, a guy that you think is going to you know, really find his way. Give me a guy who's in a conversation as a top 15 pick that you would not be shocked if it uh, goes the other way and, and, and becomes a bust. Hmm. Okay. So I'll start with the positive. And, you know, running backs aren't going to be taken the first round this year. I don't believe it. Yet, there are going to be productive running backs in this class. And a lot of that is because of blocking success that they reach the NFL level. But you guys know this from watching Miles Sanders as well. A lot of it is also by their own account. It's the explosion. It's, it's the creativity. Um, and it's the receiving chops. 
And there's no back in this class that is more ready for a pro style offense of, of being a, a receiver and, and a plus in the passing game than Clyde Edwards Hilaire coming out of LSU. I mean, he's coming out of that Joe Brady passing offense, caught 55 passes last year, which is like tops in the SEC for years and years and years. They frequently motioned him out in the slot, out wide, got creative with him against linebackers. And then he has this in like, despite being five, seven and 200 pounds, this lateral agility to create his own space behind the line of scrimmage after the line of scrimmage. Um, he's a really, really fun player. And if I can go the opposite of that, I'm a little nervous of Derek Brown, the interior defensive lineman out of Auburn. I, I mean, basically everyone has him as a top 10 selection. And again, I'm going to revert back to athletic testing. Uh, you know, how fair is it of me to compare someone like Derek Brown who did go through the athletic testing and it was bad. It was poor. And it was in like the 30th percentile versus like someone like Javon Kinlaw who did nothing. Um, but I'm going to, because that's the information that I have. And I, I think in order to be successful pass rusher in the NFL, you have to have juice. You have to have the ability to win your one-on-one -on -one matchup. And again, the athletic advantage is, is just uh, an instant leg up. And while Derek Brown ran through his opponents, worked through his opponents consistently at the college level, I think his ceiling might be someone like Akeem Hicks, who's very good, but it's not that, you know, top 10 caliber talent that you can rely on to consistently disrupt and generate pressure uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Hey, Josh, we've kind of talked about the uniqueness of this entire pre-draft process. And we, we got into it a little bit already, but um, what's, been the hardest part do you think for teams about the limited information the limited visits all of that probably getting to know these players um you know teams use those top 30 visits differently some like the packers historically have spent half of them on round six round seven undrafted types because you know they value that eighth round they value those late round picks and hopefully they can find ones that they believe in um, other teams use them as like complete process. Dave Gettleman talked about that all the time. Like, oh, he was a complete process guy. He was at the senior bowl. We met with him at the combine. Then we brought him in for a visit. Um, it's so much of a comfort level with, with these prospects and, and with these players that teams just aren't going to have that comfort. You know, how is, I mean, maybe Jerry Jones is the right example here, but how is someone like Jerry Jones going to sit there for 30 minutes on a, on a Zoom call and believe he, he knows a player versus like shaking his hand and looking at him in the eye and spending, you know, six hours with him. And, I, you know, maybe we look back on this and say we don't have to send scouts after they've been on the road for six months for another month, day after day, renting cars and staying in hotel rooms and going from small school to small school to small school. Maybe some of that can be shifted. But just from an understanding of, of on a personal level and, you know, what motivates them, what they've gone through in their life, so on and so forth. Um, that's sure, certainly going to be lacking this year, most likely. Hey, Josh, we really appreciate your time, Adam. I know you're grinding right now, so <laughs> we'll let Josh, you get back to it. Your kitchen's a little too clean for me. I, I got to say, it's scaring me a little bit. <laughs> Rube, I got to tell you that if I move this camera anywhere to one of these corners, you would see dirt, you would see boxes, <laughs> you would see things that I'm just shoving out of frame. So that's peeling you. back the curtain here. So I'm, I'm just trying to look put together with just this background. That's it. We all are. It's, it's, it's not easy either. No, it's not. That's why I had to take like 15 extra minutes before I actually log in to move <laughs> everything out of the way. So this actually looks decent behind me.
Hey, Josh, we appreciate it. If you guys want to follow Josh and all the great work he does, it's at Josh Norris on Twitter. Thanks again, man. We appreciate it. And uh, enjoy the draft. Of course, man. I got to say, we are about to post a entire first round mock up on the Roto World Football Podcast. So if people want to see where we have the Eagles going and the rest of the 31 first round picks, go and subscribe to the Roto World Football Podcast as well. Absolutely. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, guys. Good talking to you, Josh. See you, Rube. Hey, your NBC Sports Philadelphia podcasts are now all on the My Teams app. Listen to Eagle Eye, Sixers Talk, Phillies Talk, and Flyers Talk now on the My Teams app. I love talking to Josh Norris. Yeah, he's got such a passion for this stuff. And, um, yeah, he's, he's got uh, – I mean, once I got beyond how clean his kitchen was, uh, which <laughs> was really – dis- that's a little disturbing to me. I could just see him scurrying around. He, he's got a little bit of uh, – He's got a little bit. Who was Frazier Crane's brother on that? On Frazier, uh, Niles Crane. Okay. Remember Niles Crane on the yeah. front of that show, Frazier? That's who he reminds me of. <laughs> got a little bit of Niles in him. He looks a little bit like him. And Niles Crane would have the cleanest kitchen. And, you know, if, if you Josh is used to being the one giving out the comps. He's not usually the one <laughs> a part but, of them. Um, I also like the. F- sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I like the fact that he doesn't fall in line with all the. You know, draft experts. He 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 watches a ton of film. He makes his own evaluations, his own judgments. Um, you know, like Denzel Mims. You know, a lot of not, there's not a lot of people that put him in that top group. Some do. Um, he loves Denzel Mims, but he's not afraid to, you know, to to go off the beaten path when it comes to evaluations. Yeah, and and the Mims thing is interesting because I, opinions really are split with him, and uh, but ultimately, like. Josh Norris thinks this is a really good wide receiver draft class and just about every expert does. And Howie ain't going there. No, Howie's been steadfastly. Oh, you know, I mean, there's, it's a, there's, there's a couple guys, I, you know, but Hey, it's, it's a great draft class for offensive tackles too. Um, yeah. And I understand why he's reticent. He doesn't want to come out and say, this is a historic wide receiver class and then draft a guy and the guy's a bust. Um, that, did that happen before? Yeah, and, and again, it wasn't the first round, but he made a reference to that uh, on his conference call with the, with the writers today, saying, "I got burned." What do you say? I've been burned in the past by that. Um, said the uh, the running back class was historic in Donnell Pumphrey's uh, the year they drafted Donnell Pumphrey, who I don't believe ever got into an NFL game. Did he? He did not. He played in that other league. Um, but yeah, so uh, I understand why he's doing it, but. I mean, we all know it's a historic class. We all know that you could possibly, you're going to have five receivers in the first round. You, you might have six, doubt it. Probably have, you know, definitely four in the top 21 picks because <laughs> <laughs> the fourth one's not getting by 21. Uh, but it, it doesn't benefit Howie to, you know, to say that. Oh, you know, I don't know if it really benefits him not to say it. We'll like, throw it back in his face. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess, but like if Howie doesn't say it's historic, it's not any less historic. <laughs> That's true too. But yeah, we just can't, we just can't call him out on it in, in two years when they draft uh, rugs and he turns out to be a bust. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think that's going to happen, but, uh, but yeah. And I mean, this has happened before where he'll, he'll talk down a position and, and, uh, I mean, I, I'll never forget, in 1986, uh, Buddy Ryan was asked about – it was his first draft. He was asked about Keith Byers, who'd had a great year for Ohio State. And he broke his foot either at the end of his senior year or during workouts. And Buddy was asked about him because Eagles needed a running back. And uh, he said, oh, he's a, he's a medical reject. 
And then he drafted him with the eighth pick overall. So that kind of stuff's been going on a long time. I like that story. Yeah, and I mean, that, th- there wasn't a ton of information to really take from this pre-draft call with, with Howie Roseman and Andy Weidel. This is the time of year where any information that would have come out of it, you couldn't really trust anyway. It's lying season in the NFL. Uh, was there anything else that kind of struck you from, from the call, though? Not really. Um, <laughs> yeah, we talked to Howie for what forty minutes, and well, he really answered any questions. <laughs> we, <laughs> we tried. We asked him everything. Um, no, I, I wish I could make something up. Um, he does seem very enthusiastic and confident in the process uh, of how they're going to, you know, communicate and draft players and how that's all going to go. Um, so one thing I found interesting from Howie was that he actually got his home office set up two years ago, he said. So it's not like uh, – I think a lot of GMs right now are in the position where all this technology and equipment is new to them. And it's going to be new for a lot of the people in the Eagles organization, but it's not a bad thing that Howie's at least had this stuff for a while and, and he feels comfortable working from his own home. Now, how does that link in with Andy Weidel and, and the cap guys and the scouting team and all that? that's up in the air, but at least the GM feels comfortable. That's something. But, you know, it's like the Eagles have 30 seconds to make their pick. Howie's like juggling trades and picking a guy. And then his kid comes in and says, daddy, I got a splinter or something. You know, it's like, I, I got to imagine they're going to like deadbolt his door. <laughs> his kids. I mean, his kids have, have interrupted a lot of, a lot of conference calls. I think that's by design. It could be. I think I was like, get them in here. I don't want to answer that. He tells his son, yeah, come in in exactly 12 minutes and get, so get the, me off the this one call. thing he did mention uh, was that, like, during the draft, his kids are old, a little bit older now, so they have a, an understanding of the NFL a little bit and, like, what's going on in the draft. And he said he would get text messages from his kids during the draft, and now he's like, now they could walk up and knock on the door and talk to me about the draft. And then he goes, not that some position coaches don't already do that. <laughs> I love that. that he, there's this image of, like, these position coaches equating them to his kids. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Uh, yeah, but, but, you know, that's something that is going to be missing. I mean, just that, that ability to look at, um, you know, a position coach in the eye and say, you know, because every position coach wants – they want the team to draft a guy at his position in the first round. But as a coach, if you don't really like that guy, you got to say, no, I don't want him. Um, mm-hmm. And you got to look that guy in the eye. There's not going to be any looking in the eye. And, yeah, that's, that's, that's changing things. The one Andy Weidel thing that I, I thought was interesting was um, we've heard so much about the idea that – and even Josh Norris brought it up – the idea that these teams won't really get to know – these prospects, you can't look them in the eye. You can't learn if they if they really love football the way they need to. Andy Weidel kind of had a, a different view on that, that it's actually like more one-on-one time with a prospect for him or the GM. Because um, typically you'd have like, you'd have them in a room with a few people and they're going from, you know, he's going to meet the position coach. He's going to meet this and that. And he said, this is just like one-on-one. They're in a room. I'm in a room. There's no other distractions, and I get to talk to this guy for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. That's an interesting viewpoint on this that I haven't really heard. I guess it's a a glass-half-full kind of viewpoint, but interesting nonetheless. Yeah, it is. I I still think 
you know, the other, the other option is better. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, I mean, the, the good thing is Eagles have a good positive attitude about all this. They're, um, they're not complaining. They're not whining about it. They're, they're finding ways to make the best of it. And I think that's what you want. I mean, once you, cause it is what it is. It's not going to change. This is the system right now. And if you go into it, it's like, you know, it's like this podcast. I, I mean, I'd rather be sitting in the, in the studio next to you. I don't, I don't know. Actually, I actually have to think about that actually, but uh, yeah, I mean, complaining is not going to help it. This is, I mean, they're going to draft players that are going to be on the team long after, you know, this whole, whatever it is, is over. So um, it, it's important. And, and they, they seem to be making the best of it. They do. And we're making the best of it too. If you enjoy the podcast, please uh, rate, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast. We always appreciate that. We want to thank Josh Norris for joining us today from Roto World and NBC Sports. Great stuff from him, as always. Rube, we'll talk to these guys next week. We'll talk yeah, to I just want to yeah. just add one thing. Next Thursday, a week from today, first round, we will be doing a podcast after the Eagles pick, when, whenever that is. So stick with us, and a week from today, the Eagles have a new first-round pick. All right, this has been the Eagle Eye Podcast. We will talk to everyone soon enough.